Um, so I apologize, my voice is not up to par. This happens almost every year around Easter. And uh, it's when things start blooming and growing, my, my body doesn't like it. Uh, and then, last night I had tickets for the Makeup Garth Brooks show, and I went. And it was epic. Ten-year-old me was so happy about it last night. Like the kid that's in there is like, yes! Forty-year-old me this morning was not as thrilled with my decision-making last night. But here we are, um, and it's Easter Sunday. And this is not really part of the sermon. Um, I just want to begin by saying, I know Easter can be a really weird day, especially when you're processing your questions and your doubts. If you feel like your faith is unraveling, um, Easter can be one of those like, this is really strange. Um, And I was reminded this week of one of the Easter stories in the New Testament, in the book of Luke. And at the end of the story of Luke, uh, there are some women who are headed to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And when they get there, the stones roll away. There are two men there, and they ask them a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And you know, I, I couldn't help but think about our community when I heard that question. Because I know there are some of you in this room right now, you're processing a lot. You're deconstructing, you're unraveling, your faith is shifting, whatever metaphor you want to use. And it's causing you some real problems. In one sense, you feel more alive and excited than ever. In another sense, like, people are being weird with you. You're probably getting invited to lots of coffees. Um, People are praying for you. Maybe your relationship with your family is weird and strained because you're paying attention. Maybe people are trying to make you feel ashamed, like somehow you don't have enough faith, like you haven't believed hard enough. And the problem, well, the problem is you never believed it anyway. Anybody ever had that thrown at them? And I just want to affirm you because you realized at some point that you could not find a living Christ in a dying faith. And at some point, you had the courage to crack open that box and let those questions to begin to come out. And it's scary, and it's brought a lot of, but it also, you're more alive than ever. And when I, when I thought about those words from Luke's gospel, why do you seek the living among the dead? Like, I feel like that's what a lot of us are trying to stop. We don't want to seek the living among the dead. We want to find a living, vibrant Christ who can handle our questions, who can make space for our doubts, who doesn't expect us to just swallow things hook, line, and sinker, but like wants us to bring our mind with our heart on the journey. And so if that's you today, like literally I was talking about this at 9 o'clock, and people were going, like, I wonder who this is for. Um, If that's you, know that we see you, we love you. Know that your journey is sacred and that you aren't wandering far from the path. You're actually looking for it, and that's a beautiful thing. So uh, today, we're going to begin a new series called Unhelpful. So when you go to Easter lunch, brunch, whatever it is, after you get out of here, and they can say, how was church today? You can tell everybody it was unhelpful. Um, um, But hopefully within all of that, we'll find something that may be a slight bit helpful. And I want to do this series because I think for lots of us, we have been in moments where we've been going through something. Maybe it's grief, maybe it's loss, maybe it's anger, whatever. And somebody comes up to us, and they just say the most unhelpful thing imaginable. How many of you have ever had that happen to you? Right? Like, you're already beaten down and tired and exhausted, or you're already angry or hurting, and you don't know what to do. And then somebody comes over, and they have this brilliant idea to open their mouth and say this thing. And you're like, are you kidding me? Now, how many of you have ever been that person that said the thing? 
Where does that come from? Have you, I mean, I found myself in a situation, in, in, in those kind of situations sometimes, and I'll even say some sort of platitude or cliche. It'll come out of my mouth knowing I don't even believe that. I'll say it and be like, what, what, where did that come from? It's almost like an involuntary response, right? Like it's been so ingrained and so instilled in us that these are just things, when you don't know what to say, say something that sounds spiritual, but if you actually begin to probe it and wrestle with it and ask questions about it, what you discover is it's actually not helpful at all, and it's not very spiritual. It actually kind of stinks. And it, it actually creates a lot more harm and a lot more damage and a lot more pain. And so I want to spend some time over the next several weeks just exploring some of these phrases. And I want to begin today because this one seemed to me to fit really well within the Easter weekend. I want to begin with this one. It was all part of God's plan. Anybody ever said that? You're afraid to say yes. I've said it. Come on, people. There's no shame. We've all said it. We've all said it. Um, it was all part of God's plan. Was it? Was it whatever it was? Was it all part of God's plan? All of it? Does God just put us through, intentionally put us through traumatic events? Does God intentionally push us in painful situations just to see what we'll do or, or just to see how we'll grow out of it? Is God like sitting around going, you know, seems like things are going too good over there. I want to really mess with it. Is that what God is like? And, and maybe in the Easter context, the, rock, the real question is, does God need good Fridays? Does God need good Fridays to do what God wants to do in the world? Does God need to put us through hell to somehow try to bring us to heaven? Is that how it works? Because I'll be honest with you, from my perspective, if that's actually how it works, then God should probably be fired. Because there has to be a better way to do it. There has to be a better way than to do, you know what, I want to see what the, let's, let's do this. Let's mess with this. And, and like this week, I was involved in a little bit of a, a fender bender. I got, my car got rear-ended. And my car wasn't damaged, but the guy behind me had a little bit of damage. And like, was that God's plan? Because it didn't hurt anything. It just ruined the afternoon. Is God going around testing us to see what we'll do, how we'll respond? Are we lab rats? And for lots of people, we, we were taught. It was instilled within us. God controls everything. If you grew up Calvinist, I'm sorry. And sort of the belief that every single thing, all the knobs have been turned, everything has been predetermined. What you're having for lunch tomorrow is not up to you. God did it before you were ever born. That bologna sandwich has been coming for you for however long you've been alive. And you can run, but you cannot hide. Right? Just this, is that really... How it works? Is God determining it? Is God picking it? Does God need Good Fridays? Does God need our suffering? Does God need Jesus' suffering to do something good? Does God need your suffering, my suffering, the suffering of countless people, seven billion people in the world, and so many of them are living right now in suffering? Does God need global hunger? I remember listening to people talk at the beginning of the pandemic, and they're like, well, this is all part of God's plan. Is it? Does God need to unleash a pandemic on the world to see what we'll do or how we'll respond? Spoiler alert, the answer for me is no. And we'll come back to that. But I want to think a little bit about why we say this stuff. Why do we come off with these sort of phrases? Why do we say things like, well, 
It was all part of God's plan. I think it's because we desperately want things to mean something. We want to make meaning. When something happens, when it's, especially when it's traumatic, when it's painful, when it hurts us, we want to know that it didn't just happen. It ha- we want it to mean something. This is what the earliest Jesus followers did after his death. In light of the Easter moment, the Easter experience, they went back and started trying to make sense of what his death means. Right? They, like, why did Jesus die? And they read their scriptures, and they wrestled, and they wrote, and they were trying to make sense of this event that for them was an end-of-the-world type moment. We want to make meaning. And I think that is a very human thing to want to do. Like, we want to make meaning in every way possible. You ever look at a cloud and be like, That's, that cloud looks like something. I wonder what it means. It's probably just a cloud. But we desperately want things to matter. And I think part of the reason, then, that we try to say things, we try to fit them into categories because we can process that and we know, well, this means this. Now, most often we like to do this when things, have, we've been through something painful, difficult, hurtful, and everything worked out okay on the other end, right? And so we look back over the journey, like, that was difficult, that stunk, that was not easy, I, I didn't want to get out of bed for a month, it was really hard, but now everything's okay, I guess it was all part of God's plan. When you're on the other side of it, when things are better and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping, all of that, it's, it, oh yeah, we look back and we say it's all part of God's plan. The problem is, Everything doesn't always work out okay for everybody. And being a pastor for over 20 years, I've walked with people through the worst days of their lives. When it didn't, there there was no way to get to the sunnier moment with this situation and look back and go, it was all part of God's plan. And and so I've become actually really, really uh, kind of sensitive to the language we use when we talk about all this. We talked about this a couple months ago when we talked about the word blessed, right? And the way we use the word blessed and, and how sometimes that can make people feel. When we, it was all part of God's plan because it worked out for us. But what about the people it didn't work out for? Was it God's plan that they would suffer? Was it God's plan that they would experience loss? Was it God's plan that they would experience untold grief? Is that what God's up to in the world? So I think we have to think about our language. I think we have to think about what does it mean to say that God orchestrated? What does it mean to say this is all part of God's plan? Because if this is all part of God's plan, it kind of shifts around. It kind of makes God a little bit of a monster, right? The God who's like, well, I could have I given you everything you needed to survive, but I'm going to take it all away instead and see what you do. And the whole it was all part of God's plan thing is kind of like, it reminds me of the book of Job, to be honest with you. In the beginning of the book of Job, Job loses everything, including his children, And at the end of the book of Job, it's sort of like we're given this nice bow on the story and a happily ever after. And it's like, and Job had more children. What? What? Well, it's okay. It was all part of God's plan. I don't think so. And what I'm going to say right now is going to cut against what most of us have been told our entire life. But you've come to expect that. (laughs) And I think it's actually good news. God does not orchestrate the events of our lives. God does not plan your life or my life. We are free creatures. We are free to make choices. We are free to move and be in the world. And sometimes when one person exerts their freedom to move and be in the world, sometimes their freedom ends up bleeding over into somebody else's freedom and causing them pain, right? Anybody ever been a victim of that sort of collateral freedom use? And it's terrible. 
but I do not believe that was God going, I'm going to send that person over there to harm that person. I don't think that's what all, I don't think that's what's going on at all. I don't think God sends tornadoes. I don't think God sends earthquakes. I don't think God plans traffic jams. I think life happens. I think it just is. There's nobody turning the knobs and, and deciding where you're going to be and how many slices of bologna are going to be on that bologna sandwich. Or tomorrow somebody's going to be, eat a bologna sandwich and they're going to be like, what? How'd he know? I don't think God does that. I don't think God orchestrates it. And I think it matters, though. I think what you go through, what I go through, our suffering, our pain, all of it matters. And here's why it matters. Because it matters to us. It matters because it matters. The stuff we go through, we want to infuse it with meaning. And in some ways, we can. As long as we leave God out of it. Because God's not going around deciding what you're going to do or I'm going to do. Now, there's a certain amount of, if you believe that's true, it kind of lets you off the hook for basically everything. Right? Because no matter what you do, well, it must have been God's plan all along. I don't think that's how it works. Is God involved, though? I actually do think God is involved. I think God is a participant with us in the world. And I want to look at that through the lens of Easter, and, and maybe this will make sense. Does God need Good Fridays? Is that what God needs? 2,000 years ago, did God need Jesus to die on a cross to get what God wanted to get done in the world done? Was it necessary? I don't think so. I don't think God needs people to suffer. I don't think God needs people to bleed and be executed in order to accomplish what God wants to do in the world. Um, and so what does Easter mean? I think that's the question. For me, wrestling with my faith all these years, the, the thing that stumped me about Easter, when I, no longer, when I realized Easter is no longer about the afterlife for me, right? It's no longer about, well, Jesus rose from the dead and someday you will too. What does Easter mean? I think we begin with this. Easter means that the Roman Empire executed Jesus. It means that Jesus came and announced an alternative kingdom, an alternative way to run the world, a way of justice, peace, equity, compassion, and love, a way that challenged the vested interests of people in power, and they decided to kill him for it. Jesus died the death of a nonviolent revolutionary who was advocating for a different way to run the world. And, or but, God raised Jesus up and vindicated him. So it's a way of saying, if the empire said no to Jesus, the resurrection is God going not so fast. If, if the crucifixion is Caesar's defiant, I will carve the world up how I want and I will run the world how I want, it's God's defiant, think again. Because there's a better way to run the world. And so then the question is, uh, where is God in the Easter story? I do not believe in the Easter story God is nailing Jesus to the cross. I do not believe in the Easter story that God is willing the suffering of Jesus or anyone else. I think where we see God in the Easter story is we see God siding with an oppressed, executed, mistreated, marginalized, forgotten human being. Where is God in the Easter story? God is standing a lot where God has always been with the oppressed and the forgotten. Where is God in the Easter story? He's with the suffering Jesus. Where is God in the Easter story? He's raising the crucified Christ up because death would not be the end of the story. 
Where is God? God is not causing, instigating, creating suffering. Where is God? God is working to get to the other side of it so that something new can possibly happen. You know, there's something interesting that happens every year around this time. And you can always tell when it's happening because of what happens to my voice. Plants are coming alive. Pollen fills the air. But what's really happening? There have been, there's been stuff under the ground all winter, under the frozen, cold, hard ground. And it's just been waiting. And at just the right moment, with the right amount of uh, water and the right amount of sunshine, that stuff begins to push through, and it begins to grow, and we start cutting it off and bring it inside the house. Right? It, it, every year, it happens like clockwork. There's death, and yet through death, something new and life-giving begins to emerge. I think that's what's happening with the Jesus story. I think we're being invited to see that what this rejection of Jesus by the empire, and even though he was dead and buried, that the seeds of life began to form. And the people who knew him and loved him began to see it and sense it and celebrate it and experience it and invite other people to experience it. Like, what if we, what if we keep doing what Jesus did? What if we keep doing what Jesus did? What might be possible? One of my favorite ways to approach some of, this, some of these questions is from a text in John chapter 9. If you were here during our Signs and Wonders series, we talked about this, but I love how the message renders it in John 9. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents causing him to be born blind? Right? Again, we're looking for meaning. It's a little insensitive to turn this guy into a theological debate right in, right in front of him, but here we are. And what does Jesus respond you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Jesus' assumption is, this, this just is. Now what will we do about it? This just is how it is. And what are we going to do? I think that's really similar to what's happening in our own lives. I don't think God's organizing it all, planning it all, constructing it all, creating it all. But I do think, even though God isn't the instigator of the bad, I do think that as we struggle, as we suffer, as we hurt, I think God walks with us, journeys with us, and invites us on the other side to experience a resurrection. God walks with us. There's that beautiful line from Psalm 23. I'm going I'm to go King James here, okay? Yay. It sounds like they're excited about it. Yay. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God doesn't cause Good Friday moments, but God walks with us through Good Friday moments and begins plotting resurrection on the other side of Good Friday moments. Frederick Buechner has this great quote, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. Maybe you're here and you're hurting. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're grieving. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. And that doesn't mean that everything goes bright and sunny and everything's like, oh, that never happened. It's not. No, no, no. The risen Christ still had scars in the New Testament. The scars go with us because they shape us. These moments matter because they shape us. These moments matter because they turn us in. In some ways, our responses turn us into who we're going to be in the world. And yet, in the darkest moments, the Easter invitation is, hang on. Do not give up. 
Resurrection means the, last, the worst thing is never the last thing. That something new is happening. Something transformative is possible. Your story right now, you're in this room, you're breathing. Your story isn't over. Because resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. Does God have a plan? I, I actually think so. What is it? Well, it's complicated. Here it is. I love what Bruce Epperly says. God does not determine everything but presents a vision of beauty and the energy to achieve it for every moment of experience. It's almost like God's plan is to say, you know what I really want you all to do? I really want you all to love each other. You know what I really want you to do? I really want all of you to care about the people in your community who are unhoused. You know what I want you to do? I want you to feed the hungry. You know what I want you to do? I want you to go make sure that the lonely person knows that they're not alone. You know what I want you to do? I want you to become good humans. I can remember just so many times being told, like, in church, that being good was almost bad. Anybody else? Like, you're never going to be good enough. Good's not good enough. Well, what if it is? What if God's dream is that we would become transformed into good human beings? Human beings that care about our neighbor, human beings that care about our enemy. What if that's the goal? I mentioned earlier, I, I, I've been a Garth Brooks fan since Garth Brooks released a record. I lost track for a long time. Um, we went to the show that got stormed out, and so I'd never seen him live, and we were there last night. There were 73,000 people in the room, or in the stadium. I bet you, if we were to all sit down and talk about things we believed, how we voted, all of that stuff, I bet you all 73,000 of us would not have agreed. Fair? Sometimes I couldn't agree with myself, so. But there were moments last night where 73,000 people, I actually felt in that space, I have no enemies in this space. Because we were all participating in something, we were all belonging in some, to something together that transcended. I think maybe that's what resurrection's about. Maybe it's about participating in something that causes us to transcend and become different kinds of humans. And maybe there are moments in life where we begin to glimpse what is possible. Maybe there are moments when we begin to glimpse, oh, the world really could be better. Is it all part of God's plan? No. God did not plan your suffering. God grieves with you over your suffering. God journeys with you in your suffering. God dries your tears through your suffering. But God's plan for you is resurrection. God's plan for you is to know that the worst thing is never the last thing. And every single day of our lives, these little opportunities for resurrection start popping up all around us. God is inviting us. God is calling us. But God doesn't violate our consent. Isn't that great? Like if God's planning our lives, like I didn't consent to that. I hate baloney. Not for it. Not a bit. God, God's, has anybody seen the video going around on the internet of the, the, I guess the Christian folks in the airplane playing the worship music? Just a collective groan. Blah. Like, like, I mean, you talk about violating consent, right? Like, we're at, we're at 33,000 feet. I can't get out of here if I don't want to sing How Great Is Our God ad nauseum. Um, 
Then we were on vacation a couple weeks ago. We were at a restaurant, and somebody came up to us, and they were talking about how cute our kids are. People do that all the time. And then sometimes they say just the most bizarre, inappropriate things. It's strange. And then this guy says to us, I mean, there's something I've been doing for 50 years, and he starts putting it. I was like, is he going to do a magic trick? So I'm all leaned in for the magic trick. And he pulls out these two cards, and he lays them on the table, and I want you to have these. And on the top, it's like, you're a sinner, and you're going to hell. It's like... Somebody's making some assumptions, aren't we? I don't even know you. I had no consent in the matter. He didn't say, would you like these? He didn't say, could I share a message with you? He just said, here, take these, and he left. Rude. God doesn't do that. God doesn't force God's way into your story. God simply says, there's a way the world could be, and there's a place for you in it. Because you belong. Whoever you are, you belong. You belong in God's world. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not a slip-up. You belong in God's world. And to you and to me and to every single person, regardless of their faith, regardless of whatever, God extends an invitation. Let's go do this thing. Let's change the world. Let's go love people. Let's go feed people. Let's go journey alongside people. Are you in? Are you in? And sometimes we say yes. Sometimes we say no. And God never violates that consent. Ever. God loves you. God may have a wonderful plan for you, but you don't have to follow it. And that wonderful plan is just that you would join God in the remaking and resurrecting of everything and everyone and all of creation. So my Grace Point siblings, on this Easter morning, may we not forget God has no plan except that we would join God in the resurrecting and transforming of every single thing in creation. Are you with me? Let's pray.